After the lesson presented uh, tonight by Ken, we'll be singing number 654, Are You Weighed Down? That'll be the song of invitation after the lesson, number 654. Before the lesson, let's all stand and sing number 442, Yield Not to Temptation, 442. I want to invite all the men to join us in singing the melody line before we split up into parts there so we're all singing together. Good evening. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. We'll use that as a launching place for our study in just a moment. While you're turning there, let me welcome each one that's with us tonight. We have guests with us again tonight. We're glad to have you in our assembly. We have a good Sunday night crowd. We're glad that you're with us to study this topic that I've announced, dealing with how to resist temptation. This, uh, I chose this because I was looking through the survey, which I try to keep uh, in mind, some of the topics you all have suggested, you like you're preached on. And this was one that has been suggested. In fact, as I was looking through some of the sermon suggestions that, that people put down on the survey, 
there were a number of topics that kind of fit in to dealing with this issue that talked about different moral issues and problems that we may face as Christians that it seemed like to me that might be very good just to look at this topic of temptation and how to resist temptation. Thank you, Stephen, for leading that song. That sets the uh, agenda for us, yield not to temptation. And I guess if it was just that simple, I could say, well, we're done. Just don't yield to temptation and go home. Um, I am reminded when I hear those words, Mark Twain, the humorist who was not known to be a friend of religion, was one time asked the question how he dealt with temptation, if you ever had to deal with temptation. He said no, temptation wasn't a problem for him because whenever he was tempted, he just gave into it and it was real easy. Well, there are a lot of people that kind of look at temptation that way. They just give into it so they don't struggle with temptation too much. But that's not what the Lord wants us to do. In James chapter 1, and beginning in verse 12, James said, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those that love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I want us to look here about four specific things that will help us in resisting temptation. And the first is just to understand the source of temptation, which we see in this text, the progressive nature of temptation, thirdly, the fruit of temptation, and then I want to close with five practical steps that I think can help us in overcoming temptation. First of all, it is important for us to understand the source of temptation. And this text in James 1 tells us that the source of our temptation is not God. That when I'm tempted, don't blame God. Because God doesn't tempt us to sin. God cannot be tempted to sin, nor is he tempting you and I to sin. Sometimes when people endure certain things, they want to blame God for it. And say, well, why is God doing this to me? Or why is God tempting me? That when you say such a thing or think such a thing, your blame is misplaced because it is not God's fault. The source of temptation is the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, it said Jesus was led by the Spirit of the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and nights, afterward he was hungry, and now the tempter came to him. And so here it is very plain that it's the devil that does the tempting. In fact, he is identified, the devil is identified as the tempter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul wrote to these, these brethren, so for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. And so the source of temptation is the devil. I mean, in the very beginning of time, how was Eve tempted? The devil. 
the devil came to her in the form of a serpent and tempted her to give in to her desires. And so let's understand at the very beginning that it's the devil. Now, some folks don't believe in the devil. I, I believe in the devil. The Bible teaches the devil is a real evil spiritual being. In fact, Peter tells us that he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour in 1 Peter 5, 8. And so the devil is on the move. And the devil is after us. And the devil wants to tempt us and devour us and to cause us to sin. And so that's the first thing to understand when we think about temptation, the source of our temptation. But the second thing, I think, and this text tells us this, to understand and to realize the progressive nature of temptation. Temptation has steps to it. It has, it has a, a progressive nature to it. We don't just all of a sudden sin, but there are things that occur. And he suggests here in this text that temptation is fueled by our desires in verse 14. Each one is tempted when he's carried away. And the New American Standard Update translates this, the word lust. It's kind of interesting, the Greek word that is translated lust is the word desire. So some of you have a translation that says desire, and some say lust. Either one is a correct English translation because it's the, it's the same Greek word. And in fact, it's the word that Paul even used in Philippians chapter 1 when he said, I have a desire to part and be with Christ. It is the same word. And so you say, well, how, how, is it, how do you know which way it's lust or a, a good desire? It depends on the context. Here it is obviously used in a bad context, a bad kind of a desire, an evil kind of desire, and probably it's a little bit better to translate the English word lust because we understand that. Desire, though, is just another word for lust. And so what happens when Satan identifies a desire within you, and this may be a sinful desire, maybe it's a desire to take revenge on somebody, or maybe it's a desire to commit an immoral act. What does Satan do? Well, Satan says to you, you deserve that, doesn't he? Satan says to you that, that this will be exciting. This will be comforting. This is going to make you feel better. You're going to be happy. I don't know how many people through the years that I have heard justify some sin in which they're engaged because they say, well, I'm happy. Maybe it's an immoral relationship. Well, this, this relationship makes me happy. Well, what has the devil done? The devil has fueled your desire, and he has isolated something that's going to make you happy. But the devil does something else, and in a way, maybe for a lot of us, is even more insidious. The devil can distort and twist something that's not necessarily bad within itself. It's not an immoral act or something that is overtly condemned in the Bible and cause this to be a desire that leads to a sin. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, suppose you have a desire to provide for your family. Now, that's a good desire, isn't it? And to work and, and, and to provide things that your wife and children need. But, you know, I have seen people allow this desire to lead them to a point they neglect the Lord's work. In fact, ironically, I've even seen people work so hard and put in so many hours in their job or occupation, they end up actually neglecting their family. 
because they think they're providing for their family by giving them a lot of material things instead of being there for their family. So the devil is taking a desire that's not bad within itself and maybe it has caused us to neglect or be, get engaged in some things that we ought not. The word lust simply means a desire. Temptation is fueled by desire or by lust. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22 says to flee also youthful lust. Or another translation says flee the evil desires of youth. And so temptation is fueled by desire. But secondly, temptation is fomented by doubt. The devil tries to get us to doubt what God said. Isn't that what happened to Eve in the very beginning? That the devil began to question what God had told Eve and get Eve to doubt? In fact, the devil actually just blatantly lied and said, you shall not surely die. And so the devil will say, well, is, is that really wrong? I mean, in the 21st century, I mean, that might not have been a good thing back when the Bible was written, but the Bible's an old book. And the devil says, this is a different age. The devil says, times have changed. We're more enlightened. Everybody does it. It's not a big deal anymore. And so the devil creates doubt in our minds. Or is this really what the Bible means? Don't you think maybe over there where you go to church, the people are a little bit narrow-minded, maybe have twisted that to suit their desires? Is that really what the text says? And, and after all, isn't love the most important thing? And so you see, with these kinds of rationalizations, doubt is fomented and we begin to question. James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. And so doubt is going to lead us astray on so many levels. Now that temptation is facilitated by deception. And so the devil, of course, is called the father of lies, Jesus said in John 8 and verse 44. And in this text... He tells us in verse 16 that he, is, that he is going to try to deceive us. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, Paul says, I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The devil says you can get away with it. The devil says no one will ever know. The devil says this is actually going to solve your problem. The devil says it's only a little thing. It's not a big deal. But we are warned, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he that sows to the flesh, will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, will the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so watch out by the deceptions the devil tries to bring. And then... Temptation is finalized in disobedience. You see, you finally act upon a thought that you've been toying with. And the temptation then leads to a sinful disobedience. And maybe what started out as a fleeting thought. 
then becomes an intoxicating emotion. And finally, it is birthed into behavior. James says each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so here it is, finalized in disobedience. But there's one more thing here that is important, and that's discerning the fruit of temptation. There are two things that James tells us in this text that are important to understand. That sin separates us from God, and that sin brings death. You say everything produces something. It has an impact. It has an effect. It bears some kind of fruit, whether it's a good fruit or whether it is a bad fruit. And so he says that when sin desires conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, just as there's two parties of conception, there's two parties of sin. There is a desire within one's heart, and it is allowing Satan's influence to have the will over another. And when the two come together, sin occurs. And what does it produce? It produces death. The word death just means separation. Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, your sins have separated between you and your God, and your iniquities have hidden his face from you that he will not hear. In Romans 6, 23, we learn that the wages of sin is death. And so a death is a separation from God. I can remember hearing preachers when I was a boy growing up and I suppose this has almost become a proverb. I don't know who to give credit to. But I remember Auden McKee saying this when I was a teenager talking about sin. He said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's just a pretty good thing to remember about sin. Discern the fruit of temptation that is going to bring about death, spiritual death, and separation from God. Now, let's take the rest of our time and let's talk about how we employ some steps to overcome temptation. The first thing I'd like to suggest to you is to refuse to be intimidated by temptation. You know, many times Christians are frightened. Uh, and demonized by tempting thoughts. And, and I've had people say to me that they feel guilty because they've been tempted. And they say, if I was a stronger Christian, then I don't think I would be tempted to do that. Well, now, let's look at what James said. James says, when you are tempted. Not, not if you are tempted, but when you are tempted. Are you going to be tempted? Yes. Think about this for a second. Jesus Christ himself was tempted. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He was tempted. The devil's going to tempt us. And so don't, don't feel guilty or don't feel like you're a bad Christian or don't be ashamed that you have been tempted. You're never going to outgrow temptation. Someone says, Ken, you said you had a birthday coming up. How old will you be? Well, I guess I'll put it on my blog so everybody knows it's 70. You know, for me just to say that out loud is hard to believe, actually. Yeah. Guess what, young people? 
at 70 years old, I'm still tempted. The devil still tries to tempt me. Now, I don't know if we've got anybody else here. I started to say anybody's here that old. I guess we do have people older than me here, but uh, we could go around the room and ask, are you still tempted? I dare say anyone of accountable age here, young or old, is going to say they're tempted. We're tempted. We're tempted to sin. Young preacher went to an older preacher one time, and he was feeling kind of guilty about some of the things that were bothering him and temptations. And he asked, he said, well, will I ever get to a point in preaching that I will not be tempted? And the old preacher said, well, I, I don't think so. He said, in fact, he said, I wouldn't trust myself until I've been dead about three days. You're going to be tempted. That is just a fact. Don't be intimidated by temptation. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be discouraged. I think it was Martin Luther that's credited with saying that you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Now, that may sound a little weird, young people, but that's true. And that's a pretty good proverb. In other words, temptation, temptation is going to fly around us. But we don't let, have to let it settle there. Well, <clears throat> the second thing to help us overcome temptation is to recognize your pattern of temptation and then be prepared for it. There are certain situations in which you will probably find yourself more vulnerable than others. You know, kind of like the fellow that was talking about, he said, you know, I got my nose broke three times in the same place. And his friend said, you know, I think I'd stay out of that place. So if you find yourself in a situation where you have strong temptation and try to stay out of that place. Now, everybody has different temptations. You know, there are some people, maybe, whatever the reason may be, and I don't, I don't know if there's some, uh, I've heard that there's hereditary aspects to this. But there's some people who are really tempted by strong drink. And they just, they just have a, a great temptation for alcohol. Well, then maybe you better not be going places where alcohol is served. You see, putting yourself in a situation where you're tempted to take a drink. Whatever the situation is, whatever it is that tempts you, don't put yourself in that kind of a situation that you're going to be thinking about giving into that. Think about this. Are there, are, are there people that when you're around them that you are weaker, that are not either not Christians or they're not living a Christian life? You know, sometimes you can be around Christians that are not living right. And they're going to lead you into temptation. Think about that. Are you hanging out with the wrong kind of people? They're going to lead you down the wrong road. Now, you might ask this. When am I the most tempted? Is it a certain time of day? Is it a certain activity? Is it when I'm traveling and I'm out of town? Is that when I'm at a neighbor's house? Is it when I'm watching a movie? Are there certain kinds of shows? I mean, you, you just begin to think about all the different kinds of circumstances and situations in which you find yourself 
And you begin to realize, here's when I'm the most tempted. And so try to take yourself out of those kind of situations. I knew a fellow when I was a kid growing up in Indiana that quit a good job. And I heard my parents talk about it. And the reason the guy quit this job was because he didn't feel like he could live the Christian life working that job because of the kind of people that he had to be around. And the job, I mean, it wasn't like he was a bartender or working in some kind of immoral kind of a club or something. He was working in a reputable industry, so to speak. But he was around people in an environment that was difficult for him to maintain his faithfulness. He quit. And he said, well, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? Well, I guess it depends on how bad you want to go to heaven. How bad you want to be faithful and not be putting yourself in a situation where you are tempted. You know, young people, most of you go to school with non-Christians, I would say. So you're going to have people and you're going to be in activities. I mean, you can't isolate yourself unless you're homeschool, I guess. And then still you're going to be other kids. You're going, you're going to be around kids in sports and in band and whatever activities you're, you're in. And you're going to be non-Christians. But you know what? You don't have to pick the friends that are going to do things that are going to lead you astray. You know, almost always there are going to be some good kids. I mean, I'd be Christians, but they're trying to be good kids. And if you can't find any good kids, then just don't make those your best buddies that you're hanging out with after school all the time. Don't put yourself in a situation with people that is going to lead you astray. And I'd say the same thing to mom and dads that our associates in our work in our neighborhoods, in our social clubs, whatever it is, not to put ourselves in that situation. Thirdly, oh, I had a good verse there, didn't I? Ephesians 4.27, don't give the devil a foothold. Now, that's good advice, isn't it? Don't give the devil a foothold, a way that he can entice you. Recognize your pattern of temptation and be prepared for it. Thirdly, respond with Scripture. When the devil tempted Jesus... Each one of the three times he was tempted, he responded with the words, it is written. God's word is powerful. We read in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Do we believe that? Do we believe in the power of the word to drive away temptation and the tempter? Now, of course, to be able to say it is written, we need to know what's written there, don't we? So we kind of get into the first point of our lesson this morning about Bible knowledge and knowing some Bible verses that, were, that are going to help us. Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist said, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we, And the word hid means to store up. So we store up the word of God in our hearts. Now, if you have a reoccurring temptation, let me make this suggestion to you. Find a passage that you can memorize that will help you in putting that temptation to flight. Memorize that. Or maybe you want to put that passage on your, on your mirror. You want to put it on a card, put it on your mirror. Or maybe you want to carry it in your wallet, in your purse, in your billfold. Maybe you want to put it on the dash of your car. Maybe you want to put it on your computer screen. Suppose there might be things come up on your computer screen that we ought to look at. And so we put up a passage there that will help us in overcoming that. But say it is written. 
and using scripture can put the devil to flight. The fourth thing I would suggest is to reveal your struggle to a godly friend or to a support group. Now let me explain what I mean by that and what I don't mean. Here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that you broadcast this to the whole world. I don't mean that we discuss our private desires and temptations and problems at inappropriate times. I don't mean that we're talking to some casual acquaintance about this. And I certainly don't mean that we confide in someone of the opposite sex. That's a big problem. Whether you're married or single. And you get to talking about some temptations that you have. And you definitely don't want to talk to someone that's a weak Christian. And it's someone that has the same problem that might end up supporting you and doing this thing that's wrong. So that's what I don't mean. What do I mean? I mean to reveal your struggle to someone you can trust. Someone that is spiritually mature and strong. The wise man said two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And so you have a friend that is trusted, that is stronger, and a person that's not going to fall down with you, but is going to help you up when you fall. James put it this way in James 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so there's an appropriate time to confess our struggles and our temptations and to have someone help us through that. I think in certain instances, and I have seen this effective for Christians that are dealing with, with some very severe problems, that there are some good support groups. And again, I caution you to be careful of the support groups you join, but I think there are some good support groups that can help people with certain addictions and certain problems and temptations. But last but not least, request God's help. God has a 24-hour emergency hotline. The psalmist said in Psalm 50 and verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You don't have to have a long conversation with God. It might be a quick cry for help. And we know that the Lord understands what it is that we're going through. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have a great high priest that's passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he said in verse 15 of that chapter that he is a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And so Jesus, our high priest, knows what we're going through. And so then he says in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
And so when you're tempted, pray about it. Ask God's help. Ask to find that way of escape. Now, understand that God will prepare. He will make a way of escape. But I've got to look for the way of escape. I can't put myself in a bad situation. So I say, Lord, deliver me out of this. I need to look for the way of escape. But I need to ask for God's help in doing that. And so how do you overcome temptation? Refuse to be intimidated by it. We're all tempted. Recognize whatever your pattern is of temptation. Respond with Scripture. Reveal your struggle to someone that can help you and lift you up and that you can lean on each other. And then pray about it and request God's help. I don't know about you, but it's been helpful to me once again to just review this and to think about it. Because that wasn't just preacher talk a while ago. I am tempted. I think as long as we live, we're going to be tempted with certain things. And we live in a world where the devil is trying to get us and to get us to fall short of God's grace and God's glory. One final thought about this. A lot of this has to do with what you're feeding on. What are you putting into your mind? You know, in Philippians, we just got in reading Philippians recently. In chapter 4, Paul said to think about the things that are good and true and pure and honest and lovely and good report. What are you feeding on? What are you putting into your mind? If you're putting good things in your mind, things from God's Word, then this is going to help you in overcoming temptation. In that regard, I was reminded of an old Cherokee legend of a Cherokee Indian that was teaching his grandson about life. And he told his grandson that there is a battle that is going on within, inside of you and inside of me. And he likened it to the legend of the two wolves that fight inside of each person. And the grandfather told his grandson, he said, he said son, he said, the one wolf is evil. He, he's full of anger and sorrow and regret and greed and, and arrogance and guilt and resentment and false pride. But, but the other wolf is, is good and he's full of joy and peace and love and, and hope and kindness and truth and compassion. And that fight is going on inside of you. And it's going on inside of me. And the little grandson looked at his grandfather for a minute and he said, well, which wolf wins? And the old Indian said, the one you feed. The one you feed. And so what are you feeding? Are you feeding things that are going to lead you down the wrong road? Or are you feeding things that are going to lead you to things that are higher? You and I can't overcome temptation. We can. If we can't, the Bible's not true. And God has lied to us and given us an impossible task. But we can, we are able, if we choose to. Well, we close the night and we sing a song of invitation and encouragement that Stephen has chosen. And that's a pretty good invitation song. Are you weighed down? Are you weighed down with temptation, with sorrow, with guilt, with pain? You don't have to be weighed down. You can give your burden to the Lord. If we can help you in some way, if we can lift you in prayer, or if you're not a Christian, and through faith, repentance, and baptism, you'd have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ, you can begin to walk in They can help you overcome the evil desires and temptations of life.
and be faithful to Him. We invite you to come as we stand. Amen.